Welcome to LifeSight AI, the podcast series brought to you by Cypro and hosted by me, Nick Mahoney. This series looks to shine a light on the key developments of AI within the life science industry. Following on from the successful roundtable Cypro hosted in 2020, we aim to bring cross collaboration between common projects and to help promote the use of AI in life sciences. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to LifeSight AI, the podcast series. I'm your host, uh, Nick Mahoney. And for episode three, um, we've got a very exciting episode um, in store for you today, um, all around a startup um, that is using computer vision and cloud computing to provide advanced surgical guidance. So without further ado, um, welcome Dr. Rob Haig, CTO of Sidon Medical. Hi, Nick. Pleasure. So pleasure to have you on. Just just give everyone um, listening and watching just an idea of who who you are and, and what side I do on a top level. So um, so side are uh, are a uh, medical device company, um, and we've been a been around for uh, as well as a company producing a device to um, uh, to clinicians about si about six years. Um, the actual company was founded um, a few years before that. Um, so, I, so I joined at the start of that product journey. Um, I initially joined as a principal engineer and then moved to CTO in 2017. Um, and yes, but so our, um, our device is uh, it's an interesting one. Um, in that <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's, it's a medical device, but it's also it's purely software. And it's not just software, but it's software as a service. So um, we provide it as a, as a web service. Um, but, all, but unusually, we're, we're not just, just a, web, a web service, we're a web service that goes right into the operating room and supports uh, surgeons during and other clinicians during um, image-guided surgery. So, um, so, yeah, so that's the kind of overview of where we are. Um, mm. And, yeah, we are, yeah, so we've got products in the market and we're, um, yeah, we're still growing. Awesome. So I think the first thing to note is, is you guys are a software company um as a, as a medical device and that's to say every time we mention a medical device in this episode we are determining it as a software platform and nothing to do with the hardware side of things and we'll delve into into that in a bit more in a bit more detail but just want to touch on yourself first rob um you joined uh sidar from azura which was eventually bought by by cadence um you spent was it 10 years there um, I think it was a, I think it was about three months shy of ten years. Um, right, <laughs> cool. So yeah. you obviously not in the medical industry or healthcare or, or related in industry, really. Um, what were the differences you found going across into into healthcare and medical device? So, um, so it's quite a few. So, so, so if start off with the um, what what was very similar from the EDA electronics design automation, which is the field I was in before. Um, one of the, so there's a fair few similarities. So it's um, uh, you're you're designing for um and building products for expert users. So um, it's also, so so consumer software. You obviously have to look at a wide range of people. You have to consider um people just walking up and, you, and using it. And um, so I think it's very different challenges. Whereas if you've got a you're doing something very specialist um in any field, you're working for expert users. And um, and also it's, it's a bigger thing um 
where you don't have the, the domain knowledge that your users have, which is one challenge right. and you're facing it in both, in both um, fields. Um, so so that's, that's one thing where it's the same. And the actual, a lot of the mechanics are the same. So it's all um, uh, fairly demanding um, software, uh, mm -hmm. both into, on the theoretical aspects um, of just getting it to work, understanding what it's doing, but also computationally, there's some, um, you, get, you need some um, significant computational power to do both, to both design circuits and to do the image guided um, uh, surgery support that we do, uh, we'll, that we'll get onto. But um, yeah, so that's the same. Uh, so things that are the same. Things that are different, I think, um, are, so it, in the day to day, the um, uh, medical industry is a lot more regulated and uh, obvious and good reasons. Mm. Um, so you have to, you have to work within um, within these regulations, um, and that I think does does make a big difference. Um, it sounds when you coming at, coming into it from the outside, it does sound like this is going to be um, a very worrying and stressful, <laughs> and b um, it's going to kind of slow you down and it's going to you're going to be fighting against it. Um, and actually, coming at it, um, we've but um, Sado we've managed to um, do it in such a way that it's not. So it's, it's not too onerous, and it's, it is. It just allows us to still develop software yeah. um, at a at a, a fair pace, and um, uh, but within a way that complies with the the regulations and allows us to get the certifications we need. Yeah. Um, so so, so I mean, that's the most useful thing I think. I think day to day. The other, um, but on the the other side, obviously the the person that you know that you're um you're kind of directly helping um helping in these um like literally life saving operations. Yeah. Um, and it's it's fantastic feeling to go in and realize um to go see you see a our dashboard, okay, this yeah, this one's connected. I know that's actually someone who is um there's a, a medical sort of clinical team there and they are operating somebody and you're making a, a real impact on that um on that procedure. Um and yeah, so so and you can very directly see the benefits you're providing to people, mm. uh, which I think that's a that's a fantastic upside and that's um I think one of the, one of the um, one of the big differences, and so and obviously, also yeah, all, all kinds of products are um, are very important and do very valu valuable jobs. I and mean, being able to work yeah. on a medical medical device for me is um, is, is fantastic. And it, it constantly it's constantly um, reminding you that what you're doing is making a big difference. But also, yeah. it keeps you um, yeah. Keeps you in mind that what you, you yeah you can't you can't mess about <laughs> you, yeah. you need you to do it properly up. yeah exactly yeah. um yeah which is uh yeah so that um that I think is the um is is the biggest difference in terms of how you how you approach approach the work um yeah and also yeah it's it's it makes it very a very rewarding field to be in. Did you ever think you would go into medical device? Was there anything before, I don't know how you joined Sidar if you were approached by them or you found them? Did it was it something um, on your radar at all or? It's not something I particularly considered as a as a very explicit. This is the direction I want to go. What so what happens? We got to the point where, as you say, Azoro, which is a, I joined as a, when it's a small startup, kind of grew to um, a sort of medium-sized company, and then was bought by Cadence, which is a very large company. I tried yeah, um, working in a large company environment um, for a few years, um, but then decided I'd, I'd rather go back to a small company. So I started looking mm -hmm. around. Um, for startups um, in the in the kind of Cambridge area, and this uh, kind of sort of saw a few a few companies, um, but side by side, I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll go and talk to them. At that point, it was um, 
Tom, uh, Tom and Graham, co-founders, yeah. and, and Andreas, who's uh, one of Graham's um, uh, research uh, researchers. Um, that's uh, KCL. So there was the three of them basically, um, <laughs> and went to um, went to kind of interview um, and talked about it. And uh, the at that point, it was very interesting technology, but it wasn't a product. And they were trying to get people that um, to take the take the take the technology and actually do all the um kind of the extra bits around that core technology that Graham um Graham had, had uh, developed and then with Tom, Tom and Andreas kind of turned into a, a proof of concept version. Yeah. We basically the steps to take that and turn it into a, a product that could be delivered to clinicians. So, so it was more the tech that was interesting and then the, the secondary came actually what you're working on makes a massive impact and a massive difference um exactly exactly i mean it's, it's a um a kind of uh, a sweet spot really inside our inside our own companies like us we've got um kind of both, both things going for us it's very interesting technology but it's also in a very interesting field and a very interesting application yes that's that's it's interesting i think there's more as you say more medical devices software companies grow it's people like yourself coming across into the industry will happen more and more um you mentioned that you joined us as principal engineer and and yeah. now cto so it'd be interesting to know um maybe what what challenges you found going into i mean it was your first cto role right so exactly yes. what what kind of challenges did you find moving into that position so um that's interesting because uh, you kind of think back and it's um a lot of times when you kind of think back on your kind of career development it's um uh it's an sort of like a gradual process and it kind of moves um you, so there's no kind of big change you, it just kind of evolves um as you go on in this case yeah. it was a um it, there was a definite um a kind of definite discontinuity um so so basically the the background was um the john the previous cto um moved moved on he started to get, um go and uh, pursue other other projects and um he's out yeah uh, he co-founded a company of his own. Um, so uh, when he when he left, um, Tom Graham approached me and said, "Okay, would you like to be uh, like to step up from the BCTO?" Um, and to, it was kind of in my head. It was possibly, possibly the next step on my um, uh, on my in my career. It's like, okay, well, mate, um, that's probably the, the next place I'd like to go. But I wasn't thinking of doing it at that point. So, so it kind of <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's. It's definitely definitely a move move on to make, um, but it came as a bit of a surprise with the, the timing. Yeah. So, um, uh, but I'm yeah very happy to um yeah have to have the opportunity and said yes. Um, and uh, kind of the in some ways it wasn't a it wasn't a big um kind of wrench because I was still the same company, still knew the team, and um, it was as so already being in some um, kind of day to day sort of like team leadership mm. as part of my role as principal engineer. Um, but the uh, the kind of the kind of CTO um, part was the bit I had to learn, and that's um, and I think the the big the big difference is um, that I've, I've kind of had to adjust to is, adjust to, is um, doing less uh, less less of, kind of the, the day to day work on the um, kind of on the ground actually evolving yeah. products. So yeah, I do still try try and do some of that, but um, it's a uh, I'd say it's a big difference in that, um, as principal engineer, it is still largely an engineer, I mean, the engineer part is still 
a big um, a big factor. Yeah. Whereas a CTO, I get um, a lot less opportunity to do that, which is a shame in a lot of ways because that's something I really I really enjoy yeah. doing. Um, I still see myself as a um, as a developer, mm. uh, but in terms of actually day to day work, um, I don't I don't get I don't get the the chance to do that. And it's, um, and I, I kind of had to adjust, adjust my mindset in that um, the way I'm developing software now isn't to go and basically open up Emacs and write some code. It's to actually facilitate yeah. the rest of the team yeah. to you, develop you, the de you develop the vehicle for the software development almost. So it's, it's, yeah. it's developing the software via somebody else. That's your mindset shift. Precisely. Yeah. So, so the, I, think, um, as, I think I think this is true. Just in general, as you go, as you kind of go yeah. up into leadership roles, um, then you become uh, more of a like a facilitator to actually make sure that yeah. other people can do can do, uh, can do yeah. their jobs rather than um, yeah, rather than doing things directly. Now, um, and the other thing that's changed well is that um, kind of the scope of the role is a bit different. So when you're so when I was a principal engineer, I was almost entirely focused on just like. The technical aspects of the product. Yeah. The CTO has kind of widened to, um, a, obviously, there's an aspect of things like uh, the strategic um, aspects of just being all the kind of C level roles. Yeah. But the um, the other one that uh, is uh, peculiar to medical devices uh, is the regulatory aspect. Yeah. Which um, turns out to, yeah, that turns out to be a, a bit of a, far, <laughs> a big part <laughs> of the role. Um, mm. And this is so. We, uh, we kind of work with um, consultants um, and we have uh, some people on, on staff to um, do a lot of the um, uh, all of the kind of detailed regulatory yeah. work. But the um, it all kind of falls on the big part of it, particularly the medical device um, uh, regulation sort of, uh, kind of thing. So that falls uh, falls sort of in in my area. Um, I just kind of overseeing that and making sure, in particular, our processes. Yeah. Um, are up to scratch and we're everything is developed in the court so that we can when we as we're in the process of doing now we go to get a a ce mark or a 510k from the fda or whatever certification you need um and we can provide the evidence that we, this has been developed this product is developed and maintained in accordance with the relevant standards um and to you know we, we need to be able to um do that we're also developing software so this kind of comes back to what we we're saying about um uh, about facilitating other people yeah. um, developing this the development software. Um, part of that is kind of creating the the process in which it happens um, and providing the providing the kind of the platform mm. on which people can uh, can work. Yeah, so almost a facilitator in chief, more rather than the chief technical officer, almost <laughs> you, could, you could call it. <laughs> so it sometimes feels like that, yeah. Yeah. So um, talk about Sido then, uh, and the actual product and the AI behind it. Um, just just explain the the use case and the need, where it came from, and the kind of AI that it's that's being used to solve this this need. Okay. Yeah. So the um, so so as I said, it's a uh, sort of, sort of, the product is Sardar EV, and that's a, um, a software medical device. The EV stands for endovascular, um, which is um, type of surgery. So um, take a step back and talk about the, uh, the kind of the medical condition that they're addressing. Uh, uh, what a core one for us is um, aortic, uh, uh, 
sorry, abdominal aortic aneurysms or triple A. Um, so to do, uh, well, this is where your blood vessels weaken, it swells, and if it's left untreated, it can burst, and that can be, in the case of an aortic aneurysm, that can be fatal. So well, how do you address this? Now, the traditional ways you've um, you've done this is you actually have open surgery. So general anesthetic, they make a fairly large incision, um, mm. and they uh, basically, they cut, they cut open the diseased blood vessel and sew in a graft. So it is a, a tube of impermeable, impermeable fabric. So they sew that in to bridge the weakened part of the blood vessel, sew you back up again, and then you spend um, quite a long time, of weeks in hospital, recovering. Yeah. So that's a very major procedure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the a more modern alternative that is increasingly popular is... Um, endovascular surgery where instead of opening you up um in the uh, sort of just opening your abdomen from going in directly uh they will put an incision in your in your leg or um mm. your, your uh, upper chest and they will insert a device on a sort of compressed down like an umbrella they'll feed that in through the blood vessels till it gets to the location you need to go then remove the sheath it unfurls like, like an umbrella and this the uh, graft here has a, it's a stent graft, so it has a springy frame on it as well. Right. So you remove the sheath, it springs out, and it has little hooks, so it will hook into the blood vessel uh, above and below the weakened area. It, it does exactly the same job when it's there, which is it uh, bridges the disease, so it takes the pressure off, allows yeah. the aneurysm to heal, um, and it means that your blood's not going into that um, uh, that uh, aneurysm and going to uh, increase the pressure to burst it. But the, um, the way it's done is far less invasive, Far less invasive, far yeah. less impact patient, um, and can can be done on local anaesthetic. Um, yeah, which that's a bit often so many many advantages for that. Exactly. For that yeah. yeah. But the the the, the, um, the the problem with it, um, certainly as far as the clinician um, usually the surgeon performing the operation, um, uh, the disadvantage as far as they're concerned is they can't see what they're doing because um, obviously. You can't put a so you can't put a camera inside blood blood vessel because it's full of blood. So if you're doing yeah. surgery inside a bowel, so that um, uh, there's there's a space there. So you, so an optical camera with the light on the end, you can see where you're going. Doesn't work in blood vessels. Um, uh, so these procedures run under X-ray guidance. Right. So they have uh, what's called thoracic, which is basically just live X-rays. Um, so they're, they're doing not not very high frame rate video, and only when there's something interesting to see because obviously x-ray dose is a big factor you want to you, you can't just keep filming yeah. like you can with an op the optical camera yeah. because you're um, uh, beaming x-rays into people yeah. so um so yeah but you have a there's a pedal and the cushion can put their foot down and take a like a 15 frame a second um sort of video yeah. uh, with x-rays um which is great they can see the the instruments which are made of or have metal in them they see that and, and wires things like that they can see those great see bones mm. obviously on x-ray what you can't distinguish between is blood vessel and the tissue around and the tissue right. around it because it's all basically the same density as far as x-ray is concerned yeah so um, so yeah so the procedure is fantastic in terms of um it's not it's minimally invasive and far better recovery times um but the problem is play you have these graphs have to be placed fairly precisely mm. so um there is a way to get around this way. So you can inject contrast medium into the blood vessels, um, but that, and then take a rapid series of high dose x-rays, which gives you an angiogram. Problem with that is, A, it's a rapid series of high dose x-rays, so that is a significant increase in your x-ray dose for the procedure. Yeah. And B, 
you have a um, uh, the contrast medium uh, that you inject is toxic to the kidneys. So if you um, use too much of that, you can have um, side effects with a, a reduction in or loss of kidney function. So you obviously need to minimise that, especially for some patients with um, uh, with existing kidney problems. Kidney problems, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, so both of those you want to avoid. So this is where Sida comes in. So what we do is we take the the image, the X-ray image that's already been taken. Yeah. We perform uh, some computer vision on it, uh, which recognizes where the um, uh, the vertebra and uh, vertebra in the, in the spine. So we're operating in the abdomen. Obviously, you yeah. have the the lower the lower spine. Um, yeah, the, uh, those vertebrae, which are um, it turns out quite quite, uh, quite distinct, both across patients and with each other. So the yeah, um, yeah the various lumbar vertebrae, they are fairly easy to well easy to distinguish. Uh, looking at them, um, certainly as yeah, you or I as a, as a non non medical professional, which at the yeah. moment it's just vertebrae, but um, they are distinct enough that we can do uh, computer vision on them to determine not only which vertebra it is. But it's fairly precise um, position orientate and orientation. Right. So, so we do that, uh, and this is the technology that, that um, Graham Penny, the, the co-founder, had developed. Um, yeah. He's an, an imaging scientist um, who's at KCL. KCL. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's um, so the technology he developed was basically take the take these images of vertebra, and compare them to CT scans, because before this procedure, in order to plan it, the right. A patient has a CT scan. So what we can do is we can match the CT scan to the image, and yeah. we can work out the transformation you need to re to render that CT scan on top of the image. And we can take for that from the CT scan because that has the blood vessel blood vessel distinguished it um, yeah. uh, in it. So you can take the blood vessel from the CT scan and overlay it onto the awesome. uh, live fluoroscopy in a very very accurate way. So um, there, there are other way, other techniques to do this this operation. Um, they tend mm. to be on mechanical tracking. Yeah. Um, but so, but the image-based tracking it's uh, far more accurate um, than that in the in the mm. testing we've done. Um, and we have we've had um, sort of third-party uh, clinical studies done this have shown this as well. We are. It's, yeah. it's, it's very it's a very accurate way of doing it. But also, you're tracking. You're actually tracking the patient rather than the table, because if you if you track if you have a mechanical system that's tracking the, the relative position of the table and the X-ray set, those um those are pretty accurate for for that. But unfortunately, one of the things we found is the patient moves relative to the table quite because as they as you're doing this um yeah. operation, the even yeah even if um you don't think about like bump into the table, it just <laughs> pushing these these devices, some of which are quite quite thick. Sort of stiff devices mm. pushing these in and out of, of the patient's of the, that kind of moves them around yeah and it causes a significant amount of um uh, amount of patient movement basically because so it becomes inac inaccurate exactly it starts move, to drift yeah. and they have to re-register yeah. whereas because we're looking yeah. at each the image every time and it's the image of the patient rather than anything else yeah we are kind of that, does, that doesn't really that doesn't really move so you've got higher accuracy because you've got a non-moving target almost. <laughs> well, well, so, so they, we're kind of moving with the target in that. Moving, yeah, that, yeah. You can get, you can register on the patient, uh, the patient, yeah. and register very accurately um, on yeah. them as well. Now, of course, you say they, they don't. One of the things about about people, rather, if you so if you if you're X-raying a, a mummy in a sarcophagus, for example, they're not going to move. If you're X-raying a <laughs> an actual, yeah, living living human being, um, especially yeah. one where you're you are. Um, 
change it. Yeah, basically you're, you're operating on them. And yeah. there is movement there. So, so, so this is one of the things we've had to account for um, uh, is, so first, firstly, there's a couple of things. One, the pose of the person in the CT scanner is significantly different to the, the pose of the person um, when they're on the table, largely because you can do these procedures under local anesthetic, but yeah. often they're not, they are done under general. Um, and in that case, you are, the person is they're flat on the back and they're completely, they're, yeah, all the muscles are completely relaxed. Whereas if you're on the CT scanner, um, you are often, so often they'll get people to um, put their hands above their heads. Right. Um, and their back will be arched. And it says, and, and they're conscious, so they have their muscle tone. Um, so they have, um, so they, there's got a significant difference in between the yeah. CT scan and the so scan wheel. On, on, on that difference, then, do, do, does does your AI model does that does that have take care of that difference? Is that something that's really conscious for it? Do you have to exactly? That? So, so, so yeah, so this is the thing. Where, so the original one didn't. So the original one that um, right. we started with when we launched the device in, in 2015, uh, that it didn't. So for the uh, and and if what you're doing is taking a, a single registration of um, uh, of to be a single position to yeah. say okay here is the uh, here's the um uh, blood vessel at this point in time yeah it doesn't actually it doesn't actually make a huge amount of difference um right. in it, so and especially so what so how it works is is we were we were very accurate on the vertebrae we've matched on yeah and then obviously as if that is if that is um if some of things have bent then as you move away from that vertebra the accuracy is going to decrease however yeah. um we pick the vertebra that we that we base the position on to be the one that's closest to the central screen, which is where the where the patient is looking. Right. So, yeah. So we, we measure this effect, and in practice, it doesn't make a lot of um, it doesn't make a lot of difference mm. um, for just the, the just positioning. Yeah. Um, it does come in. So it's more accurate if you can model it. Um, but it comes into um comes into its own when um you're trying to do more with that data, which I'll get onto, get onto in a second. Yeah. Um, but the yeah. So so one of the things we added um a couple of years ago was um. Uh, tracking of this sort of what we call intervertebral movement, so so the changes change of the posture of the spine. Yeah. In between. Um, it's so in between. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Sort of it's all called registration. So it's the act of taking a, a single image and working out the corresponding position. So yeah. what we do there is, is we kind of, so yeah so we build and it's basically say it's a an, an AI model this is a machine learning model um, that's building up a kind of a statistical model of um, how the, how the spine is varied based on the observations it's taking. So it, take, it interprets each um, each registration as a new observation. It says, okay, given that I've, I've seen this um, uh, this uh, vertebra here, and so when I see that vertebra there and that vertebra, there's an angle between them. Yeah. And I know, and also I know that I'm viewing this from a certain position. So you've got a, it's it's, it's a um, it, it, it has to be quite quite a Quite an involved process to actually build this model up. But what we're doing is we're building a, a model of um, the pose of the spine, right. and, as, and it's increasing, uh, sort of increasingly accurate as you take more images. And, and an important factor of this is the user doesn't need to do anything. They don't need to go and say, okay, we're going to do the, yeah. we're going to take an APV and a lateral view and the spine, the spine position, yeah. or do anything in particular. This is just kind of gradually, uh, this gradually, this model is gradually refined yeah. as the as the case goes on yeah so so effectively as the user would be the clinician they just see the the, the final image 
in, in yeah. front of them um, so they can work Precisely. with that. Yeah. So no, is... I just want to touch on that actually, though, on that final image, because that's a 3D image, right? Yeah. So how do you look at visualization? That's that's something that, that we, um, Cypro, we talk to a lot of different companies now um, that are using visualization for different areas, be it 3D printing, um, for uh, like pre-surgery planning of the of anatomies or um, for 3D diagnostics. Um, so you're using it for, for, for guided surgery. So what do you use for visualization? What are the major challenges do you find in your in your workflow? So, so, so that's a good question. This is something we kind of encountered early on. Um, and we've got a, so when we sort of kind of first, so when I joined in 2014, kind of got a an initial version of this um, and the, the, the problem is um, you've got uh, two fairly complicated images you've got mm. the extra image which is uh, a it's noisy so, so it looks it kind of looks complicated at a glance yeah but more importantly even once you kind of factor that to, you account for that there's lots of information it's not just there's lots of information it's a lot of very clinically relevant information <laughs> yeah. in terms of where things are and what and what and basically uh, where the basically the are where the devices are um, yeah and then in addition to that you've got this fairly detailed 3d model again with, with which um uh it's got yeah it's kind of clinical relevant and you know you know um where they yeah you know um you know you need to know where the various bits of the blood vessel are yeah so you've got these two these two things and you want to to um show them basically one on top of the other and unfortunately the the clinical interesting bits are in the same place because that's <laughs> that's the bit you're operating on so there's a yeah you need to figure out a way to do this um the first attempt was um kind of making it semi-transparent and that so and that um that turns out to be almost the worst of both worlds in right. that you can't yeah you can't see the detail philosophy underneath and you also can't get a good picture of the um <laughs> a, good, a, a, a good picture of the um uh 3d um yeah those 3d features so the next, the next thing was it was kind of a a, a 3D model that faded in and out, um, either on the manual control. So you got a slide that said, "Okay, I want to see more of the philosophy or more of the 3D model." Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, later on, there was, a, there was another variant of that where it would kind of like pulse almost. So it's, it would kind of alternate between being mostly transparent and mostly opaque. Right. Um, which so yeah, so, so that kind of uh, does that does um, does achieve uh, a lot of the goals, but that's that's quite distracting um, and it's still a suboptimal uh, suboptimal uh, information in both cases so the both um, areas, yeah yeah so we um so what we ended up with and we, we went through a few iterations um uh, on the way to this um but what we what we ended up with was a um a model where you have uh, the 3d model on one side of the screen just yeah. purely on it with no background and then an outline of it on top of the um Fluoroscopy. Right. So, the, and that's um, a, and that outlines a two two D image, obviously. So you have yes one three D with no background, and then you have a two D next to it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So so obviously under under the covers because we're um yeah we're, we're doing this um in real time. Um, yeah. We so they so they're actually both three D models just rendered in different ways. So it's mm. in fact it's exactly the same three D model from the same pose, so that you can look across from one to the other. Yeah, and you will see you can actually spot um, important features. So, so on the the um, uh, one of the things that people are often looking for is, is um, you've got the aorta. The the key things are the the aorta coming down, 
it branches at the bottom and then you've got the renal arteries going to the kidneys going to the left and right hmm. uh, in addition to that and um, there are sort of the visceral vessels going to to call it the bowel and liver these kind of your visceral organs um going forwards from the aorta so right. and those obviously if you just drew a silhouette you'd miss those entirely so one of the things we had to um practice and we worked um actually worked with the one the, the graphics programmer who um who did the graphics for uh, Monument Valley, the um, uh, <laughs> yeah. game. Um, uh, so, so we could, um, he was a, a consultant um, yeah. uh, with us on, uh, on the uh, sort of exploring some of the options for this. Um, and the option, the option we came for came on was um, uh, basically a uh, okay. But we've done an outline, but we make, we can make sure that we get all the three D features. So. Rather than just so you could obviously just do a, a silhouette and edge detect it, yeah, and you would get you get an outline, but it was missing two D information. Whereas what we've got is because we get, we're doing um, a slightly more sophisticated rendering from the from the three D model um, yeah. to the outline directly, rather than going via a silhouette. Yeah, we do we do render vessels that come out forward, and um, it took yeah, the, we had a, a few versions of that where you have problems like, for example, thin lines would disappear, or Things would be too, too thick, or you get strange artifacts where um, it would be, too, um, yeah, you would, uh, things would look um, either thicker or thinner than they, right? They actually were, were. yeah. And um, uh, so, so it took us a little, a little while um, to actually get a, a sort of solid version of that, which would work in um, in kind of all the cases because it's, it's very easy to get something which works on your your test data. You go, okay, that looks fine. You reset mm. a bit, that looks fine, and then you you um, throw a bunch of other models out on it with different features yeah. and you go oh no okay suddenly it looks like those two things are joined up when they're not or that's that one's too thin that's too thick if you if you have something at this very extreme angle suddenly it looks rubbish yeah so um that was a very um an involved process but the the one we've got now i think is um it's, it's a very uh good combination of looking yeah sort of look uh, looking um uh, looking reasonable for all the kind of all the models we we see, but yeah. also providing a very useful level of information without yeah. obscuring the fluoroscopy. I think it's always whenever we sp I've spoken to people about, about visualization, it's it's that that tricky balance between creating a a, a usable user experience, but also making sure that all the, the necessary information on a scientific point of view is is delivered in that accurately as well. Um, and marrying the two is always always challenging. Um, Absolutely. But from from the start, Sidar, you guys, have you said, were always the software company working in medical devices. And you noted on it at the start uh, in regards to uh, working within regulated environments and FDA approval. And before the FDA changed the medical device um, work in 2017, I think it was you were saying. Um, in the first iterations of your product, you were working with guidance from 1997. Yes, that's right. So, um, a, a memo from um, the essay from 1997, which was um, so. So the uh, the, the clearance we get in the FDA is um, a fight was called the 510K. Yeah. Basically, the FDA um, check that what you've got is um, yeah is reasonable. It's to be developed developed under reporting management system, various other things, and they say okay, I know you're okay to put that on the market. They're not. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're not saying uh, no. This is this is great. We're, so it's not an, it's not an, an approval. Um, what it is a kind of clearance to put it on the market. Yeah. 
So um, then, then this is what typically um, uh, a, lot of a lot of devices, which are, um, yeah, so because a lot of software devices will be under, but the system is designed for, um, uh, for, for all kinds of medical devices. So everything from tongue depressors and syringes up to um, x-ray sets. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so the thing we found was um, a lot of, uh, it is a recurring theme, not just for the FDA, but with um, all of, uh, regulators and regulation is you're reading thing and you have to kind of translate in your head. Um, so yeah, an example, um, okay, recently is, is, okay, so what does, um, what does preservation mean? So, so obviously in, um, if you've got, yes, yeah, so for example, a, a vaccine, yeah. then you need to specify that it, this needs to be kept at um, this temperature um, and transported yeah. in this way and yeah, not shaken out, shaken about or exposed to direct lights or whatever. So, yeah, okay, so what does preservation mean? In software. The, in the software. Um, does it, is it, a, yeah, is it, is it applying patches? Is that, yeah, so do, do they, so, do, so some cases you go, well, okay, that's just not relevant. Okay. Does it incorporate um, substances of human origin? Pretty sure not. Um, yeah. Whereas other things like, so uh, preservation, for example, you can make an argument to say, yeah, no, there is a, there is a, an equivalent step for software. It's yeah. not, Obviously, keeping it at a particular temperature, but it's making sure that um, well, maybe maybe part of it is making sure that the um, server it's running on is kept within a certain temperature range. Yeah, yeah. Overheat and fail. Um, so, so yeah, so, so that you have to kind of um, adapt a lot of this language. Um, yeah. And the uh, the the FDA 1997 memo was a um, uh, was a, a particular a particularly notable case of that because there's this mm. enormous flowchart um, where you go through. And you, yeah. um, you have to select, uh, we're basically, you have to a bunch of questions whether you can, you need to submit a new 510K if there's been a significant change. So mm. for example, has the, um, has the labeling changed? That's a yeah, new 510K. Uh, um, so the, uh, so the, a lot of these questions are completely, completely irrelevant. Like for example, has the sterilization procedure changed? That's, that doesn't, doesn't apply. <laughs> doesn't, um, yeah. Yeah, has, has the type of radiation you're, you're um, yeah, you're using change. Don't use radiation software device. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So there's also the um, there's this big um, uh, sort of big uh, sort of uh, not stream of relevant questions almost um, for a yeah. software device. You have to kind of pick it very careful and pick out the ones because obviously you, there are some of them which are absolutely relevant. So you need to make you careful to, to make sure you pay attention to those ones and mm. consider them properly. Um, but you had to. Kind of translate it from this thing, which then, not I, I especially noticed that they even thought of a purely yeah. software medical device. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that changed. So in 2017, they finally reissued a an, a replacement memo for this. Um, yeah. And that one, it says, okay, if, if you're um, there's a, a I think it's a set, it's actually a separate memo for software medical devices that refers to that, mm -hmm. and that has its its own flowchart, which has got I think, I think it's five questions, um, on it. And it's very specifically designed for um, uh, for software products. Yeah. So, for example, okay, um, does it, do you need a new five ten k? So, is, is this a security patch or a bug fix? Yeah. Um, yes. Don't need a new five ten k because they they very consciously thought about it this time round. Right. And yeah. by, by two thousand seventeen, they were thinking of software as a medical yeah. device, um, yeah. and also more software in medical devices more generally. But yeah. um, so is it a bug fix or a security patch? They want that to go out, so they don't want you to wait your ninety days. Um, for the FDA to come back, 
So, so, so if you're doing a, a patch, they want you to send that straight away rather than waiting for yeah, days if to come back. If it's purely, if it's purely to um, to fix a security issue, yeah, um, or, or to or to yeah. fix it, uh, the phrase is return it to its original specification, right? Um, I fix, fix a bug. Um, well, you, so you can't use that as a as a way to sneak in new features, but there are then further <laughs> questions uh, which say, okay, if you if it is if it doesn't come into that under that. Yeah. What? How do you determine this change is significant? And those are very definitely geared towards software changes and risk mitigation in mind. And we're seeing this increasingly um, across mm. regulators is they are paying more attention to software. Yeah. Um, and the system, the systems of regulation, are being better, so more directly um, adapted to software. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, and obviously, it, it absolutely, and yeah. um, and in AI as well as another area where people are um, looking at it sort of specifically and um, yeah. how do you have questions like how do you regulate AI devices um, mm. and in particular things like um, uh, yeah so, so deep learning products I mean if you if you say if you've got a, a black box um, deep learning device how do you validate that how do you yeah. Um, yeah how do you verify what it's doing yeah I think that's a very interesting question to leave it on um with, with ai regulation and how do you validate that black box for, for deep learning methods and i think um the end there about the fda approval is it's obviously going in one direction we, we touched on it on the previous episode with mark goldfinger and i think it will be a common theme moving through and it'd be actually something interesting for us all to document the different changes as we develop through in the next 24 36 months um as people people go on but i i personally found that absolutely fascinating rob um as a, as a conversation thank you very much and i hope um people listening and watching took um some advice um and maybe the common challenges that rob shared um with that you can use in your projects now or, or moving forward in the future um but if you obviously if you haven't uh looked at the previous episodes please go back and have a have a listen or watch of those um but as ever, thank you. As I said, thank you very much, Rob. Really appreciate that. I hope you had fun as well. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> awesome. But look, thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode, guys. Thank you. Thanks. That finishes this episode for LifeSite AI, the podcast series. I hope you got as much enjoyment out of that as I did. Join myself again in a couple of weeks where I'll be shining yet another light on a new area of AI within life sciences. In the meantime, follow Cypro on social media to hear about the latest updates on the series, but also on the roundtables and other work we do day to day. Please also like, share, tell a friend and comment on this podcast so that we can all promote the use of AI in life sciences together. Thanks for listening.